Welcome to season three of Bend the Podcast. Conversations to spark creativity, challenge beliefs, and disrupt what it means to be well. I'm Lillian. And I'm Deb. This season, we have some former guests sitting in the co-host chair. They're going to help expand our perspectives. Listen for some familiar voices. Our podcast is recorded on the unsurrendered and traditional territories of the Algonquin Anishinaabe people. We're really happy you're here today. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of Ben the Podcast. I'm really happy that you're joining the conversation. I'm really excited about today's, today's topic and our guest and our guest host. So I'm just going to jump into it. Sitting in the guest host chair today is Lisa Gregoire, writer, all-around creative person, and former guest of our podcast. You'll remember her episode from season one. It was called Being Brave, Funny, and New. If you haven't listened to it, go back and take a listen. It's a really good one. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you very much, Deb. Why don't you tell uh, us about yourself? You introduce yourself. So, yeah, I am as... as uh, as Deb said, I am a longtime friend of Deb's and uh, I am a writer. I'm also a volunteer at the Shepherds of Good Hope Oaks facility here in Ottawa. And uh, it's a managed alcohol program. Well, some of the residents are involved in a managed alcohol program there. And I've been volunteering since 2018. I come on Fridays, I cook lunch. I get to talk with the residents. I've made some wonderful friends among the uh, residents and staff, and uh, it's just a, it's a highlight of my week. So um, I'm really looking forward to today's guest, Ashley, uh, that I've known, yeah, for a couple of years. So back to you, Deb. Oh, great, Lisa. You're the perfect guest host. And um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited to, to have you next to me today around this virtual table as a friend and as someone who... Uh, who has experience in, in this program, you know? So let's get to our guest. Ashley Belhumero is the assistant manager of the Oaks and Shepherds of Good Hope um, program in Ottawa. And we're here to talk about a lot of stuff, harm reduction, managed alcohol program, and wherever else we go. But welcome, Ashley. We're really happy you're joining us today. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. And uh to speak about harm reduction, the oaks, and, you know, just all the benefits that it, it can have for addiction and mental health. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, you bet. Before we jump into those things, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and how you've come to be doing this work? Well, it was, well, coming here to do this line of work was, was quite the journey. Um, I, I guess a dream of mine was always to be a police officer. Uh, when I was at a young age, I wanted to be a RCMP officer. However, at the time, you know, th that really didn't work out. And I, I chose to go a different route. So I got involved in victim services with the, with the RCMP in Northern Saskatchewan. And then moving back down to Southern Saskatchewan, um, I worked with victim services with the RCMP as well as with um, the Moose Jaw City Police. Uh, from there, I took a little bit of a, a, a like a very long break uh, with uh, social services and that kind of realm. And I just kind of, I, I began to find myself. I, I, you know, I think as teenagers, we, you know, we have to go to university and we have to start our dreams right away. But 
you know, I, I took a break from that and I, I started to find out who I was. Um, and then realizing that I maybe did want to achieve that dream of becoming a police officer. So about six years ago, I, I started again applying uh, this time to the OPP, uh, so the Ontario Provincial Police. And from there, I realized uh, that maybe my skill set would be better used in in a, a different application. So I started volunteering with um, harm reduction in Barrie, Ontario, with um, the Busby Centre. They had a, a great initiative. They had a, an old uh, ambulance that was donated, and we did we gave out um, harm reduction materials food, uh, any kind of hygiene supplies, clothing. And so I really, really, really thoroughly enjoyed that. And so when my husband and I found out we were moving to the national capital area or region, I guess I should say, um, I, I thought this would be a good time to apply to be a volunteer at Shepherds. I had seen the, the poor on CBC and I thought, you know what, I'll just volunteer. I was finishing, I wanted to finish my degree in um, Indigenous Studies. So I thought this would just be a good down, downtime, you know, really make a difference in the community. And I got there and, you know, fast forward, well, now three and a half years and I'm the assistant manager at, at the Oaks. So it's been quite the journey to get here. Um, so that's a little bit about myself. Oh, very cool. Yeah. You bring a lot of experience and, yeah. and um, it's interesting, hey, a life and the choices we make, you, you veer left and you go in this whole other direction where you may have veered right or stayed on path that you were thinking about. So that's really cool. That's, that's always inspiring because we just mm -hmm. never know where things will lead. I hope it's okay, Ashley, to say I'm glad you didn't become a police officer. <laughs> <laughs> That's what a lot of people have said. Yeah. And isn't it incredible? I wonder how many people start their journey at, uh, at, at Shepherds through volunteering and then end up working there. You know, it's probably there's more than one, I'm sure. Yeah, I think there's actually quite a bit. There was mm -hmm. actually a gentleman that uh, started volunteering with myself. Um, and then he also got hired the same time I did. He's, he has since moved on, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting to, to grow with him in being, being employed with Shepherds of Good Hope at, as we volunteered together in the beginning. Why don't you tell, um, tell the audience here who's listening, who don't know, really know much about Shepherds of Good Hope, tell them what kind of an organization it is. Like there's lots of different services and facilities uh, under that big giant umbrella. So can you give us a bit of an overview? Started out um, almost 40 years ago as basically supplying food to, to people in need, whether they were homeless or, um, you know, they were having financial difficulties and they couldn't put uh, food on the table. It's grown quite a bit since, um, you know, it, what we call a soup kitchen. And, um, you know, so now Shepherds provides varying different supports. So whether it's the transitional shelter, uh, whether it's the men's shelter, uh, or um, managed alcohol programs, or even just, um, you know, previous low bearing housing, or just um, support for people with mental health or 
and addiction and, and aging as well, low income individuals who may not necessarily be able to care for themselves in you know the housing crisis that Ottawa is is in right now. So we provide all different supports for all different kinds of people who you know may necessarily not been able to access supports. And tell us where the Oaks fits in. Now the Oaks is it's a former hotel, isn't it? On uh, on Merivale. Yeah, and it's it's quite an interesting story. Um, so it was, it, it used to be a hotel, and it was donated. Uh, I, I forget the individual. I know the story has been told to me uh, quite a few times, but I forget the details, and I don't want to mess the details up. So, um, so yeah, it used to be a hotel, um, and now it is uh, Shepherd's uh, Residential Managed Alcohol Program. So. There, we actually, we provide harm reduction to people or individuals, I guess, that, um, you know, have been, who have experienced long-term homelessness um, and who have experienced substance use uh, issues related around alcohol. So, you know, the Oaks, we support every aspect of that, that individual, whether it's mental health. Um, engaging in mental health treatment through our partnering agency, Inner City, uh, Ottawa Inner City Health, sorry. So whether it's, uh, you know, providing nutritious food for individuals, or if um, it's uh, helping people with life skills, uh, you know, helping them with their laundry, ensuring that they're showered, and also their, their medication. We partner with Inner City and Care For to provide the utmost care uh, physical care for individuals, and then also um, the harm reduction aspect. So, you know, providing someone the supports that they they need in their substance use. So, really meeting those people where they are, not placing judgment, and you know, if they choose to eventually abstain from alcohol, then you know that's a bonus. That's not something that we we look for. We just look to support those individuals, and you know, allow them to start getting back some humanity that they may have lost while living on the street, or you know, working through their their substance use. So it means quite literally that you have you're you're providing alcohol to people who have an alcohol addiction. That's correct. So we, what we do is we, we provide the poor. That's what we call it. So it's uh, from 7.30 in the morning to 9.30 at night. And it's really on an individual basis. So, you know, an aging person whose tolerance to alcohol might not be so high, it's, it's all adjusted. So that person may receive you know, two and a half ounces of wine or, and then there may be someone who receives five ounces of wine every pour. It's very individual. Uh, we look at all aspects, mental health, uh, fall risk, how much the, the individual is eating, uh, ongoing health issues. And we really work with our partnering agencies to provide the best care for the individual and to lessen the harms of that alcohol that we all know what alcohol does on the body. 
you're 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 kind of defining the next question, but I, I I'd like to dig into it a little bit in terms of what a lot of people listening may not know what harm reduction is, right? And you've just described an aspect of it, but can you talk about you know what it what harm reduction means and how it looks across Shepherds of Good Hope, but you've already talked about particularly at the Oaks, but maybe mm-hmm. yeah, help us define that, give people some context for what what it means to practice harm reduction. So harm reduction is very much a client-centered approach. Um, it does, it, it's aimed to reduce the harms and, and health harms and social harms associated with addiction and substance use. Um, and we don't require the individual to stop or abstain from, from the substance. We, we look at meeting, like I had said, meeting that individual on an individual basis where they are and how we can support them. Um, you know, it's it's very much, it focuses that substances are inevitable in our society and that we're not, we're not stigmatizing those who, who partake in using substances, whether it's, um, you know, opiates, alcohol, um, and uh, varying other drugs, so, or substances, I guess I should say. Uh, so it's just very realizing exactly what's in communities and how can we lessen those harms. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I remember talking to Dr. Turnbull once about harm reduction. Dr. Yeah. Turnbull is is this incredible doctor who he really um, is. Who's who's taken on all the residents at the Oaks are his patients effectively. I. Uh, but he talked about harm reduction and he said something like, uh, you need to stabilize somebody, you know, who, somebody who has an addiction, they're unstable mm-hmm. uh, and, and you don't know why they have this addiction and you don't know what else is going on in their lives physically and mentally. So you need to kind of stabilize people uh, in order to find out what else is going on. So can you tell me like, what what difference has this program made in the lives of some of the people that you've met at the Oaks? It, it it's night and day. I mean, we've had people who've experienced long term homelessness. Um, you know, um, various encounters with police services um, in and out of the hospital because of um, alcohol poisoning or consuming too much, and now we you know, through that stabilization process that we, we, we start downtown where I'm sorry, we, we used to start downtown. Uh, We have since moved the managed alcohol program out of um, the temporary shelter service. So just really stabilizing that individual and, and evaluating who they are like I said, on that individual basis, what, what are their mental health concerns? What are their life experiences? What is the trauma that someone has endured? We, we have a very concentrated Indigenous population, more so Inuit, um, and just really looking at why are they engaging in, in you know, substance use and really weeding through that and getting to know the person and getting to know what they need to, to be stable and to have longevity, even in their, their substance use. So important. Yes. Sorry, Deb, I'm just going to cut in there. Uh, 
I've, I've talked to some of those, uh, some of the that, that live there, uh, you know, they're residential school survivors, okay? So I don't think you need to say much more than that. I, they, they've got serious traumas in their lives and they've been drinking to forget it. And now they can, again, stabilize and, and maybe now they can have a conversation about some of those things that they've been avoiding all their lives. And, and, uh, and because there are uh, several Inuit there that live there, it's like a little community within a community. Mm. And I, I was just gonna add to that to say, just the more general piece that I appreciate in what you just said across all of the residents is that I imagine they're being seen for who they are rather than just through the lens of their addiction and their behavior, mm -hmm. right? Which is what many people see when they see somebody on the street or see somebody who's misusing any kind of substance. So how um, that must be a really significant thing for people if they've hadn't haven't had a lot of experience with with people just seeing the humanity within them. Uh, so that, and that's exactly it, is we, we use all different sorts of techniques to stabilize an individual, whether it's, um, you know, helping them manage their money, because we, we all know money equals sometimes very bad behaviors, and getting to the root of behaviors and, and realizing that there's much more behind those behaviors than just the behavior itself. It's, it's a lot of hurt and pain. And once you're able to build that trust and stabilize that individual, there's much more. And it's it's very client-centered. We, you know, what works for someone is not necessarily going to work for someone else. Like anxiety differs between individuals. Um, experience trauma, that that is very varying. Like Lisa had pointed out that we have many residential survivors, school survivors, and we also have, you know, 60 scoop survivors too. And, and that all, it all leads down different roads, I, I, I guess I would say. And also it, it becomes very complex to treat individuals as a, as a group. So really treating individuals as individuals, it, I think is one of the reasons why the program is so successful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what do you, how do you respond to the folks who are critical of, you know, you meet somebody and they ask you what you do and you tell them or, and they say, what, 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 come on, you don't give alcoholics alcohol. How does that make people better? How, and I mean, you're speaking to that in everything you've said so far, but how, what do you say to the critics out there who are listening to this? And Lisa and I have had conversations with people ourselves who are, you know, progressive and smart and who have these doubts. What, what do you say to that, Ashley? I guess um, from, because this is a wellness podcast, I always presented through the lens of wellness um that although abstaining from alcohol like we we all know the effects of alcohol on the body would be ideal it's i i presented that for some people it's just not obtainable right now and that if we can you know lessen the harms uh lessen the strain on the healthcare system the just judicial system and you know really support people and humanize them again, like give them back their humanity. That's that that's how I present it to people. And, you know, it's it's an uphill battle. 
Um, there's, there's a lot of individuals that I know that still haven't wrapped their head around it. Um, you know, and, and living in the uh, national capital area, there's a lot of um, individuals who just see the people on the streets and they're automatically stigmatized. Well, they're, they're an addict. They're, you know, they're never going to get their lives together. That's the stigma. However, explaining it just how, how would you survive? Like how, in, in just bringing back that humanity to the person who may be a critic of it, it, it I, I feel sometimes that works. Um, not always, but, uh, and, and patience too. I, I find for lack of better terms, not shoving it down someone's throat and, and really looking at the, the holistic aspect of a human, it, um, it really helps people grasp the, the concept because it, it's still very new and, and innovative. I, I mean, it's been around for many years, but just the concept is now like being presented so openly in the public. It, uh, you know, a lot of people still have a lot of questions about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think, I think if you could, sorry to interrupt. Ed. No, that's fine. That's fine. Go on. I think, I think if you could see, if you could actually spend time there, mm -hmm. it would make a difference too, because I had my thoughts of what it would would be like before I started volunteering there it's really just a whole bunch of people hanging out yeah. uh, playing cards and chatting and having lunch I mean to a certain extent it, it there's a there's elderly people there so you see mm -hmm. you see some people that have mobility issues and it, it's you know you see people that are aging um, and have had a hard life. So they're probably not, they don't have the best health, but for the most part, it's like, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's just normal folks sitting around and, um, it's not, it, it, you know, people conjure in their minds, maybe what it would be like, like, oh my God, all these alcoholics, uh, but, but it's, it's really not, it's really just a, just a, a nice, comfortable place to hang out. It, where I see them, I don't see them in their rooms and I don't see them at night. I see them during the day, but that's, that's what I see. And that's, it's very true. I think that the whole concept of, you know, getting a, a pour from seven 30 in the morning to nine 30 at night, most people would, would think that it's just, uh, it's a program full of intoxicated individuals. However, that's not the case. They're drinking far less than they would if they were, you know, housed independently from, from the Oaks, or if they were still living on the streets, um, they're drinking significantly less. And there it's, it's just like you had mentioned, Lisa, it's just a stable process there. There's not intoxication. If they present as intoxicated, then we have the skill set to make those assessments. And what we, what we call is timing them out of their poor, because as, as we all know, is when intoxication rises, you know, those harms rises too, which is totally contradictory to harm reduction. So, you know, we see intoxication, we address it. And following that harm reduction model, we, we time them out with their pores. Um, and then also using de-escalation techniques too, um, is very beneficial to the person and, and provides, I, I find some residents with a little bit of insight into, you know, maybe why they're behaving a certain way and, and allows them to open up to staff as well. Um, I wonder if you can tell me uh, the difference 
do you have some stories about the difference that uh, that this program has made in the lives of people? Because I've I've seen personally the difference it's made in some people. I I, I remember a fellow who uh, reconnected with his brother, left the Oaks, and went to live with him. You know, and there must be stories like that. So, do you have stories where this has made a difference uh, in the lives of the residents there? Most definitely. So, uh, one that you know rings. In, in very close memory is uh, the Christmas party that uh, we had on Saturday, so which Lisa attended, and it was so nice to have her there. Um, it would be that one of our residents connected with their son, and their son surprised them at the Christmas party. And, you know, if that individual would have been living on the streets, may not necessarily have reconnected with that family member. Um, and just the change, like smiles and, you know, just that aggression, that defense mechanism, losing that and just for once in their lives, allowing themselves to be vulnerable, I think, too, is, is a very positive attestment to the program is when people feel safe. They can, they can show vulnerability. And that, to me, is one of the most important things that I, I take out of out of the program is is that a vulner, vulnerability of individuals because they feel safe and they're able to be themselves and 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 just kind of returning dignity for goodness sake. Yeah. Giving, give, giving somebody you know good food to eat and their own private room to go back to to sleep in at night and and um and and people that treat them as as regular people instead of like you say the, the you know the homeless addict on the street uh, I think dignity plays a big role in this oh it does and you, you see like we've now welcomed a, a couple new uh, residents to the program and you know just seeing them stabilize and almost stand taller because that dignity is starting to be restored um, you know it's it's always going to be a work in progress to keep that individual stable but just seeing someone stand taller and have pride once again and dignity is, is just a wonderful sight to see. Mm. Such, a, such a beautiful image to, to measure change and, and hope and, and kind of, um, yeah, the work that you do. So that's, that's really cool. You just mentioned two new residents. Tell us about how, um, how people can gain access to programs across Shepherds, but also the Oaks in particular, because I imagine you only have so many spots like in most programs, right? So through, through Shepherds, um, it's, it's, you know, we, again, we meet the individual where they are. So if someone needs um, supports, we, we have the men's shelter, which is, um, you know, people that are experiencing homelessness or, sorry, males that are experiencing homelessness. Um, and we also have the men's temporary shelter service program and then the women's. So that's more so a, um, almost like a recovery so we, if, if the individual is intoxicated, whether it's on a, you know, a substance or alcohol that they can be brought to us through, you know, special constables, uh, the police or even EMS. And, and we just provide recovery and it's in a safe medically, you know, monitored situation. So 
it's all different sorts of way that individuals can gain access. Um, we have varying different supports, case management, housing workers, to get that individual into to a home to break that cycle of, of homelessness. Um, and then we also have just, you know, our, our kitchen food services. So those individuals who may not be able to feed themselves, whether they're focused on feeding their children and they're, they're coming for lunch for, you know, their first meal of the day. Um, again, meeting the individual where they are, placing no judgment and just accepting people for who they are. Um, and then the Oaks. Uh, so we, we work with Ottawa Inner City Health um, because they are our healthcare providers. Uh, right now, that they're they're bringing individuals to us that may be successful in the program, um, and then we also look we also look for individuals who are experiencing homelessness. Um, just the way our our funding works is that we want to get those individuals off the streets and into a supportive living environment. Um, so yeah, we, we work with inner city, we bring them, uh, I had alluded previous that we used to have a managed alcohol program downtown. So previously they would, um, begin their stabilization there. And, um, once they were stable and a spot would open up the Oaks, then we would, with their consent, obviously they would have to consent to coming to the Oaks. Um, we would move them to the Oaks, but, um, the managed alcohol program downtown right now is being used as isolation for COVID to, to ensure we don't have an outbreak in the shelter system, which, you know, we've done exceptionally well at uh, kind of curbing that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, well done. Not an easy feat. No. Easy feat anywhere, but particularly in a shelter system for sure. Mm -hmm. Is there a long wait for people to have access to the Oaks and their, their places there? The Traditionally, there is um, right now because we don't have that uh, stabilization process. It's you know it's not it's not as long as it once was. Um, I, I, I think if we were to open it up past uh, individuals who are followed by Ottawa Inner City Health or and or experiencing homelessness, that the wait list would be much much longer. We do get calls from across the country okay. on on a weekly basis. I would say. Um, so there, there is a, there is a wait, um, and sadly enough, uh, the, the wait is, I guess someone comes off the wait list as someone passes and more, more so than, you know, someone moving on, uh, moving in with their brother as, as Lisa had said. So it, uh, that's, I guess the hard part of it is making these connections with individuals and, uh, seeing them age and getting ill and, and passing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, of course, of course. Um, that kind of leads right into the next question, Ashley, about the people who work who work there and and volunteer there. Tell us about tell us about yeah, bring them to life for us. I'm just going to start by saying before you answer that, yeah. it is a very multicultural. It is a very gender you know parody organization as far as I can see wow I, uh, I, I I the staff there come from all different places and it's just wonderful to to uh, to, to see them every week but anyways Ashley go ahead yeah I mean the staff at the Oaks like Elisa had mentioned they're 
you know, across the board, we just, it's so, we're so diverse. Um, we have different ethnic uh, individuals. We have uh, a very gender diverse uh, staff too, which is, which I think is very groundbreaking for the organization is to be inclusive, right? We, we can be inclusive to our service users and our residents, but I, I think to really, to show how inclusive is our staff that we employ as well. Um, the staff are absolutely incredible. I, after the Christmas party, Lisa, I, I did have to say, I, I had to give all the thanks to them. Uh, they, without them, I can't do my job. Um, they, they're there when I'm not there. And, you know, just absolutely wonderful. They, they realize that there's so many variables in, in harm reduction and supportive housing and always thinking on their toes, great critical thinking skills. And I'm just very lucky to have such a compassionate team to work with. And you've got people, just to interrupt you, you've got some young folks there from who are in college who are doing their co-op programs and so forth there too. So you're always getting this young energy in there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, that's nice because, you know, I, I know for myself as, as I'm getting older, sometimes I get what I call stuck in the sand and it's just nice to have new breath come in and just really like, you can feel the energy and, and, and in turn that gives you energy and that gives our, our, um, our residents energy too. just that burst of, of liveliness too. Um, the volunteers, wow. The volunteers, just like the staff, we couldn't do without them there. I mean, Lisa is absolutely incredible. The, the connections, well, the connections that you've made with the the, the residents have been second to none. You know, we have all different sorts of volunteers. We have individuals who are retired, individuals who are working, um, and just, again, very, very diverse, which is, which is so nice because each individual and in their, their life journey presents a new growth opportunity for not, for not only the staff, but also for the the uh, the residents too and and that's nice because they the residents want to engage they want to learn they're very inquisitive and again that's a nice thing about harm reduction is that it's allowed them to be inquisitive once again because you know when your humanity is taken away you cannot be that inquisitive and so it's it's just nice it's always everybody that kind of comes together whether staff uh, residents or volunteers, we just always are learning from one another. And I, I, I think to be progressive and to keep supporting the residents in the way that we do, we always need to be learning. So, and and if uh, if 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 you want to get a picture of this Christmas party, I mean, it was amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how many turkeys were cooked, but there was like this huge turkey dinner. And there was a two-piece band playing Christmas songs. The place was all decorated. Mm. There was residents there with family members and friends. There was some volunteers mm -hmm. uh, and staff and everyone's dressed up. And it was like a serious party. And can you tell me, because um, we're talking about volunteers, who, who were the folks that were serving, uh, serving the food uh, that day? 
Well, I have to give them a huge round of applause. So we had um, six individuals from Soldiers Helping Soldiers, so active members in the Canadian Armed Forces. They helped in the kitchen. They were absolutely incredible. They ran that kitchen like it was that they were in the mess hall running their kitchen. Yeah. Um, you know, kept the the place clean, uh, engaged with the the residents. I they were just absolutely marvelous. And then we had two individuals from paying it forward. Uh, and they ran, I, I had set up a photo booth uh, so that we could, uh, you know, capture some memories from the party. So they ran the photo booth. They, you know, they went and they engaged with the clients, got them to take pictures and heard, heard their stories. And, and then when the, the photos were developed, uh, found each individual client and passed the photo on to them. So it, you know, the volunteers were just really the icing on the cake for the day. They, they really made that come to fruition. And it's the, the one day of the year where we allow the, the clients to be themselves. They, 11 to two, they, they can just be themselves mm -hmm. more so than what we normally uh, stress. It was, it was really fun. Uh, and um, so my daughter, who is uh, 17, she's in high school. She's in her, her graduating year this year. Uh, she also volunteers with me when she can. And uh, she came with me. And you know what? It's important for me. It was important for me to uh, show her um, this place and the importance of the Oaks. She loves it now. It's changed her life. It's changed how she looks at people. She'll never look at a person who is suffering on the street the same because she knows, uh, because she, she's made friends there. And, um, you know, it's, it's uh, to me, it was fun. We went to the Christmas party and she had so much fun and we had so much conversation on the way home and, and after we got home and, you know, uh, it, it, that's all it takes, right? Is to uh, is to experience that firsthand. Mm -hmm. and, and and also the picture you're both painting of it right here for people listening, right? I think when you can't have the firsthand experience to hear it in this way and just to hear, it's just inspiring and it's heartwarming and so beautiful for people who um, have not had this experience. Very cool. Oh, it's a place where you. you it sounds like. I don't want anybody want to hang out. It sounds like a, a nurturing place, a place, you know, I'm sure people bicker like anywhere when they're playing cards and like any, like any <laughs> table, but it sounds like a, a really amazing, amazing spot. I hope that just the, that picture has, if people, you know, listening are thinking, I'm still not, you know, I'm still don't buy into this idea of harm reduction. However, they may, the picture may actually help shift their thinking around it because I think it, when we can see the humanity or the or even the logic in in um practices that are different from our own or things that are you know value laden for us it, it can really change perspectives as you say about your daughter Lisa that's amazing so thank you for that beautiful picture and if we're going to talk about wellness um how do you make sure your employees stay well because you know, I have spent time there and as much as we paint a lovely picture, there are still people there that are in and out of, um, I wouldn't say crisis, but, but uh, not always at their best. And, um, you know, clients, uh, sorry, 
staff have to, you know, have are, are doing their job and you want to keep them safe as well, mentally and physically. Uh, tell me about those challenges. So uh, what we find very successful for the staff is for myself as an open door policy. So um, whether they're frustrated with in, uh, residents' behaviors is just coming in and talking and debriefing after after big situations. We, we've had some, some big situations where, you know, it is critical that we debrief and, and we come together as a team and, and share some of our feelings. Um, a lot of the time, you know, and I, I think this is slowly changing in society is that we've held back our emotions and now providing staff with a safe spot to share them and, you know, just, or just letting them know that they can come in and share them too. Um, we also support through, we have an employee assistance program. So encouraging staff who may be experiencing compassion fatigue, burnout, um, or just individual crises in their, their personal life is just reaching out to that. Um, and being understanding if someone needs to take a leave of absence and supporting that person so that when they return, they're, they're happy and healthy, both physically and mentally too. So it's just, you know, kind of what we're doing for the residents and service users is an individual approach too with the staff, right? Because everybody has different life story and everybody is coming from very diverse backgrounds. It's just very individualizing our supports for the staff. And, you know, changing, I mean, I'm not in human resources, but, you know, our human resources team is, has been great at changing different approaches to better support the staff too. And that's kind of, that's probably always evolving, right? Because we're learning more and more about how to support staff. You mentioned this term compassion fatigue. I, I don't know if I've heard that before, but wow, I imagine that it, it, it's hard for people working in organizations like this to constantly be compassionate. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it is, um, you know, because you're, you're compassionate. You, you have to show a certain level of compassion every single day. And then I, I've actually I read this very interesting article about um, how we've dehumanized staff in in our in our like our society is remembering each individual has stressors at home too and you know that may compound c- compassion fatigue or burnout and all those kinds of things and really just understanding that and like I had said giving back humanity to our service users and our residents, but also realizing that they're just not a staff member, they're a person too, and and supporting them that way as well, I think is is very important. There was, I just want to add one thing before we we continue, Deb, there was, um, I don't know, was it six weeks, two months ago or so, um, a resident passed away, you know who I'm talking about, Mm -hmm. and uh, getting choked up thinking about it. Anyway, it was a very sad day. I arrived, I think a half an hour after she passed away and the staff were in shock and the residents were in shock and I saw how it worked, right? So there was a, they called together a group at 1130 in the morning and everyone got together, staff and residents, and they all told stories about her and they had a little 
a, a debrief. They, they provided a space for people to speak if they wanted to, or also just to listen. Staff um, told stories, residents told stories. It, they laughed. It was honestly, it was the most touching moment. And it was so uh, on the it was so on the spot, like it, it happened quickly and it just kind of came together. And um, I thought what a, it was a beautiful tribute. And uh, I thought it was, it was really well done. It just, it really stuck with me. Hmm. That says it all, Lisa. Yeah, that says it all. Wow. You're, there's, you're painting such a, such a profound picture for me and I hope for our listeners as well. We're almost there, Ashley. We would like to know what wellness means to you. And I think I'm really curious about that question, given, given the work you do and what, you know, your experience in life that's brought you to this work in this entire conversation. You know, what, is, what does it mean to be well to you? Um, that is a very complex, ever-evolving question. Um, you know, well, wellness, what wellness meant to me in my 20s and even in my mid thirties is very much different to what it is now. Mm. Um, I, I guess wellness is, is an ever evolving aspect. It's, you know, realizing who you are at that time in at that moment in time and listening to yourself and caring for yourself and, and letting yourself know that it's okay to say no, that, you can't do everything. And that if you're not well, then you're not able to care for anybody else in the capacity that you would want to. You're still able to care for them, but just not the way that you would want. And then that's the domino effect, right? Then you feel bad. And, and so, but wellness for me is, is the body, mind, and spirit is, you know, eating well, um, exercising, getting out all that stress, um, sleeping well, and, you know, saying no, when you have to say no, it's, I, I think it's, it's very, and, and we're all women here. I think, you know, as women, it can be sometimes very hard to say no. And we have those, those instincts where we want to continuously care for people, but just, you know, realizing that you have to say, you have to say no, and you have to take some time for yourself, I, I think is, is very important um, and not being caught up in the day-to-day -day and thinking too far in the future is appreciating that moment that you're living in and you know the life lessons that it's bringing and then moving on to the next moment and you know appreciating those life lessons and just keep going and not looking too far in the future because the future can hold a lot of uncertainties especially right now <laughs> Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, that pretty well just sums it all up. Thank you. Sure oh, all my problems. I just <laughs> send me that recording so that I can keep that. I just need to take my own forward. advice sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Don't we all need to take our own advice? Yeah. Eh? Uh, in the perfect world, that's what wellness looks like. Yeah. I really appreciate that perspective. And I've so appreciated this conversation um, and, and both of your perspectives, because Lisa, you've added a lot to this as well, given your experience at the Oaks. So, um, so valuable. And I think, you know, if we talk about disrupting what it means to be well, I really hope this, this does that for people who have no experience with harm reduction, you know, so thank you for um, stretching people's minds and their hearts, Ashley, this is, 
This has been a really important conversation and we're really happy that you could join us today. Yes, thank, thank you. you so much. And Lisa, thank you so much. It's been a, a slice having you on board. This has been a real treat for me. Yeah, take care to you both. Thank you very much. You're it was welcome. very nice being on this. You're welcome. Bye. Bend the Podcast is a production of Bend Wellness. For more information, check out our website, bendwellness.org. Thanks for listening.